This is Mission Control Houston. Ignition sequence start. The reason I'm prepared for this position is because I've been preparing for this all my life. Our goal is to compete and, and really put a fun team on the court that really gets after it. T-minus 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. We're very talented. I mean, we can go out there and compete at a high level and give a lot of effort. We can be a good team. Six, five, four, three, two, one. What is up and welcome to another episode of Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every single day. Today's episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. Are you happy because you win or do you win because you're happy? At only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Ultra Player of the Week coming up later in the episode. As always, I'm your host, Jackson Gatlin, native Houstonian and partner at Apollo Media, all Houston all original. Be sure to follow along on Twitter at JT Gatlin, the show, of course, at Locked on Rockets, as well as at Apollo HOU. And joining us as he does each and every week by way of the Locker Room app is the X's and O's guru himself, the Athletics Ali Kambijani. What is up, my guy? Hey, Jackson. Hey, everybody. Nice to be here again with you all. All right. So, Ali we've got uh, some some pretty solid topics lined up, I think, based on what's been going on with the Rockets over these over this last week or so. And I think the the main guy that we've got to talk about has to be K.J. Martin. He has been on an absolute tear as a starter. Um, he started one game, you know, what was it, like two, three weeks ago uh, against the Nuggets and then, you know, went back to his bench role and he's since been plugged back into the starting lineup given the uh, continuous downpour of injuries and, you know, problems that are plaguing this Rockets team. But he has really kind of stepped in and, and shown up in a big way. And we've kind of seen him really take his game to another level. And I know that we're going to break down, uh, you know, some specifics in segment two about, you know, some of the screening that we see him do from that four spot. But what has been a big standout to you over these last, you know, three, four games out of what we've seen from him so far? Yeah, you know, it- Complete honesty, his three-point shooting has really surprised me. Um, this is, I know this is a really obscure stat. I guess I'm the king of obscure stats now that I'm um, known by Carly as saying that Jay Shantae is the next LeBron James, even though I never said that. But another stat that I found interesting about KJ Martin, he's shooting 60 or almost 60% from three as a starter. And that's second best in the NBA among players with at least five stars this season. Um, and then he scored at least 10 points in six straight games. Um, past four games, you know, while he's been starting, everybody's been out 22 or almost 23 points a game, nine rebounds, five assists. I mean, he's playing like a guy who's growing in confidence, who's clearly getting better while he's on the floor. And he's going to have to keep this type of momentum up whenever the season ends off the floor, in practice, in the weight room in places where he has to be able to improve his game because next season as this Rockets team continues to retool he he needs to prove that he's capable in summer league um in summer practices of getting this type of playing time next season can you think Ali Khan, of a situation where we've seen a player go from being so and I'm going to use the word afraid because I think that was clearly what 
he was to start the season, he had no, like very little confidence in his outside shot to start this NBA season. And you know, this is going all the way back to you know even like the the few minutes that he played pre you know pre James Harden trade, and then immediately thereafter, um, he played in a total of just seven games, uh, only averaged just under like ten minutes per game, but he shot just twenty five percent from behind the three point line. Can you remember a time that a player has made this transformative of a leap with their shooting? In the midst of an NBA season, I know that guys, you know, in off seasons, you know, they'll go out, they'll they'll retool, they'll work on what they really need to work on. And I think that both for KJ Martin and Jay Sean Tate, an area that I've harped on and I know that you and I have discussed is that they needed to work on their shooting this offseason to really come back and be more more well well rounded players. But to see KJ make that jump mid season is just it's not something that I had pegged that was going to happen th- this year. You know, I, I've talked about this with people um, in the media while I'm at the games. I've talked to you about this, Jackson, as well. I'm a very big advocate of K.J. Martin becoming a good NBA player. Um, I think he's going to be very good in this league. Um, he just has the athleticism as a coaching staff that you can mold. And and, and they, the Rockets have a great developmental staff and player development staff that's going to work with him to get better. He's working consistently every single day with John Lucas on his jump shot on ball handling, on these different things. And now that he's playing all these minutes each single game, he's playing almost – he's playing 40 or more minutes every single night. Um, that allows you to have these types of opportunities to shoot the basketball, play with the team, learn how to be able to create your own shot, um, but also play off of others as well. The amount of ball movement we've seen from these Rockets without a primary ball handler for most of the stretch has been a good way for KJ Martin to show that, hey, when I move without the ball, when I'm you know, allowing the offense to set me up, I'm going to be able to make plays. And for somebody with his athleticism and with his ability to elevate once he gets near the rim, you know, adding that three-point shot, all it's going to do is make life easier for him because now opposing defenses have to actually guard him at the three-point line. They have to treat him as yeah. a shooter. And I look, I, I know, you know, and everybody in the chat knows that – you know, 60% three-point shooting is not sustainable, right? Otherwise, just lock it up. He's he's a better, he's the greatest shooter of all time. Get out of the way, Steph Curry. Carly, you can aggregate that if you want to. It's totally fine. Um, Wait but- a second, Carly. <laughs> you have to write that down. Jackson just said that KJ Martin is better than Steph Curry all time as a shooter. Oh my goodness. This I is did. Put, put, I did. And it goes right there next to my Armani Brooks is going to be better than Damian Lillard uh, aggregation as well. So Carly's just on a, on a roll. Um, she got you first. Now she got me twice. But uh, like legitimately, the, the 60% is not sustainable, right? But even getting him to a respectable three-point percentage of somewhere around that 35 36% mark consistently, it means opposing defenses have to honor him, which then allows him the opportunities to attack off the closeout, which is what we've been seeing over these last three or four games is there's been opportunities where defenders are actually rushing to close out against him, and it's creating these dribble drive opportunities where then he's either able to finish for himself at the rim or create for a teammate, and those have been so great to see for him. Yeah, I guess the... When you're watching the games as a fan, one thing I would like you to pay attention to tomorrow night versus the the Lakers and also versus the Clippers, those are teams that really take away the three-point shot. Even for a guy like KJ Moore, they're going to try to take away that shot. That's going to give him opportunities for closeouts. Watch when KJ Moore closes out from the corner. Oftentimes, he only needs to take one dribble before he's at the rim. And for a guy like that with his athleticism, if you just need one dribble and he's already up in the air to go for a dunk, not just a layup, for a dunk, that's something that's going to 
you know, be on the scouting report for him next season. And even though it is, it's still difficult for a primary defender who's defending him in the corner to come back and rotate and stop him one-on-one. Because if they if they close out too long and he attacks off a dribble, oh, right away with his athleticism, he's able to levitate in the air and score. If they close out short, he's still able to get, you know, use his quick first step, get to get close to paint. And he's developing his little push shot or his little floater that he's been making at a higher level uh, to score. So I think for him, it all comes down to shooting. If he can knock his three-point a percentage higher from that corner, it's going to open up all these opportunities for him uh, to score inside as well as he has been so far this season. One, one more area on this topic, you know, of his uh, newfound three-point shooting prowess. I uh, saw some, you know, fans discussing on Twitter uh, earlier Tuesday morning that just, you know, he has a bit, kind of talking about the form of his three-point shot and that he has this kind of apparent dip in his three-point shot where he kind of brings the ball below his waist before rising up to actually shoot the shot, which isn't great from the standpoint of, you know, it makes it easier for, you know, it takes longer for him to get the shot off. It makes it easier for defenders to close out on him, take away the shot. But personally, at this point, I'm not so much worried about it because I don't necessarily foresee him being a guy, at least not right now in this stage of his career, as somebody who needs to be, I guess, like a mobile shooter, like it's not like he's going to be, you know, catching and shooting, you know, running off of screens and picks and whatnot. It, you know, he's very much going to be a stationary shooter, somebody that's, you know, spotted up on the three-point line and is able to create out of that opportunity if the defense closes out hard. So maybe that's something that gets adjusted further down the line, but I just wanted to get your thoughts on that, if that's something that people should be really worried about right now or if it's, you know, not that big of a deal. When I look at his jump shot, obviously, you know, the f- first and foremost is his base. You have to look at his legs, okay? So next time you watch him shoot a jump shot, watch his legs. Once that is, once you guys look at that, then watch his release. For him right now, his jump shot isn't too refined, which is not a bad thing. He's hitting these shots because he's comfortable with it and he's getting faster at it. And you can definitely see the speed um, or the, the increase in, in how quick his release has been or quicker it's been um, you know, over these last uh, stretch of games. For him to get better, he's going to have to probably refine that shot where the dip is faster. He's able to elevate much faster. So the shot, you know, is released much quicker. And that's going to allow him to be able to uh, hit shots on the move or over contested defenders. Right now, he's somebody good that when you're leaving him open by at least three to six feet, he's able to, you know, elevate and knock down the shot over a defender. But that next step for him is going to be able to be refining those mechanics so he can shoot that ball at a faster clip, and that will allow him to shoot at a faster or higher rate as well. Coming up, we're going to talk about how the how screening angles play such an important part in what the Rockets are trying to unlock and do offensively and how that also reflects on what K.J. Martin's role is in this Rockets offense. But before we get there, we got to talk about your Michelob Ultra Player of the Week. And if you haven't figured out who that is yet, then uh, I don't know what to tell you, but it's got to be K.J. Martin, the high-flying phenom K.J. Martin. Because, look, over the last week, Ali Khan already kind of highlighted it, but he had four starts, and he's averaging 22.8 points, nine rebounds, 4.8 assists, and a steal per game while shooting 55% from the floor and an insane 60% from three-point land. Pretty ridiculous numbers, just like Michelob Ultra, only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. This last week, the Rockets were severely undermanned, even more so than their usual uh, short-staffed selves. But K.J. Martin... Martin absolutely made the most of his opportunity. So why not enjoy a Michelob Ultra the same way that KJ Martin enjoys blocking anyone over seven feet tall? Are you happy because you win or do you win because you're happy? KJ Martin is certainly happy to have a chance to further showcase his skills. And that's why he is your Michelob Ultra Player of the Week. 
And continuing on here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball, chatting with the Athletics' Ali Kambijani each and every week as we do via the Locker Room app. Now, Ali Khan, first things first, screening angles. <laughs> Explain why they're important. Like, give us your elevator pitch on why screening angles matter and why the, you know, more so maybe casual basketball fans should care about screening angles. So why screening angles are important is because changing the angle of how you set the screen can benefit the offense. It opens up the floor and creates driving lanes for the ball handler. So it basically keeps defenders on the ball. Uh, basically, it keeps the on-ball defender and the big attached to the ball, basically locking themselves onto the primary ball handler, which opens up passes all over the court for teammates. Screening angles are especially important in Steven Sass's offense because he – really harps on his ball handlers to create a two-on-one advantage. That only happens when one player is able to attach the defense, attach two defenders to themselves. Um, We're seeing that a lot with KJ Martin is that he's working on how to set screens effectively. He's not there yet, but what screening angles do is that if you, it, it allows you to find smart ways to free up your rolls to the rim and based off of the space or the lane that you create for yourself as you drive, as you're rim running or, you know, rolling towards the rim, it can also create shooting angles, or, I'm sorry, passing lanes for your teammates for, for, for shots, or it can even create driving lanes as well. I think the best way to describe it is that, let's say, for example, you're, you're looking at the Bucks game. And there was a play where Kelly Olenek and KJ Martin are running four or five pick and roll. And that's a, to- that's a topic for another day I can, I can kind of go off on. But uh, essentially what, what happened was is KJ Martin set a screen for Kelly Olenek. Olenek is coming around the screen. Brooke Lopez is in drop coverage. He doesn't want Kelly Olenek to get towards the rim or to be able to kind of use his little reverse fake that he likes to do. Instead, he's playing up high to force Kelly to make the pass. KJ Martin recognizes this. And, and the defense that uh, Milwaukee is playing. So he shifts his angle at the last minute, forcing the ball on ball defenders to have to go over the screen. That's one thing they really focus on with KJ Martin is making sure that no defender, no on ball defender is going under his screen, forcing them to go over the screen. Because if you go over the screen, then the ball handler is able to put that defender on his back you have the big in front, but then that creates that two-on-one advantage um, for your basketball team. And that's what KG Martin has been showing that he's able to do. Now, it's not just about changing the angle and kind of setting the screen. Once you make contact, right, once you make the contact um, and, and you're able to kind of change the, screen, the, 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 the position of the defenders, you have to take a nice angle. It can either be wide where it's further away from the action, or it can be close, where it's where you're allowing a quicker line drive towards the rim. But you have to read how the defense is playing. The way Milwaukee plays, so they like to have somebody kind of help from the corner. So in that case, you kind of want to take a wider um, angle towards the rim, and that's what KG Martin does. He goes up for the alley-oop and dunks it down. He had two alley-oops um, in that second half from Kelly Olenek on plays just like this. Where they're playing, where Milwaukee's playing in drop coverage, you have the big around the free throw line. You have Giannis, who was defending the pick and roll, you know, having to fight over the screen from KJ Martin at the top of the key rather than go under because the way KJ Martin kind of shifted his hip and his angle at the last moment. Then KJ Martin takes a wide turn, goes up, has the pass from Kelly Olenek for the slam dunk. So those are the types of things that 
you don't necessarily see this quickly from a young player um, that he's, you know, he's showing that he's able to do at a very, um, at, at, at a good enough rate for a rookie, honestly. Uh, and I, I think the more you see him use his quickness, his athleticism um, to help him kind of flex his hips, move his hips, you know, change his angles, it's going to allow him to set better screens and get these vertical spacing opportunities that will create um, scoring for himself and frankly for his teammates as well. So when it comes to the the screening angle and you talk about how important it is, you know, for, for I guess my, my immediate follow-up is, does it pertain more so to either A, or does it does the type of you know angle that the the screener is utilizing does that pertain more so to the screener themselves? So in this case, KJ Martin, as as somebody who wants to be able to roll and get that vertical spacing and get those opportunities right at the rim, like you mentioned in the four or five pick and roll with Olenek, or does it pertain more so to how the defense is reacting to it? Or lastly, does who the ball handler is in this scenario play any part in how the screening angle is utilized? So whenever you are you know, getting ready to change a screening angle, you're doing it based off of the anticipation of the coverage. So what are they anticipating the pick and roll coverage will be from the defense? In this case, whenever you're changing an angle, the whole purpose is is to give um, your ball handler a greater advantage because the screener's defender will be moving towards the ball handler, kind of going over the screen. And you want to make sure that you're, you know, you're, you're, you're creating that advantage that I talked about, that 2 one advantage for your ball handler. So that only comes when you're able to, especially a, an on-ball defender like Giannis, who can kind of really well find over screens with his length, or other types of lengthy defenders who can kind of quickly fight around screens. You want to change your angle to make it more difficult for them, but while still making contact so you're able to quickly make contact, create the advantage for your ball handler, and then release. So either you can go for a pick and pop of KG Martin's a better shooter, or you can take those angles um, closer to the rim, um, or, or sorry, a direct line towards the rim or a wider angle towards the rim for an alley And the inverse of this, obviously we're talking about kind of, you know, using these screening angles to get opportunities going towards the rim, but do screening angles also play a part in establishing, you know, getting opportunities for, say, you know, quality shooters to be able to then, you know, if you have somebody who fights and goes under the screen, to then be able to give somebody a wide open three-point shot behind the arc if the screening angle is set in such a way that it forces the defender to go under as opposed to, uh, you know, having them try to fight over the screen. Yeah, no, 100%. You know, the way I'm describing it, just a very simple, you know, four five or one two, just a simple two-player ball screen, uh, screen and roll action. But you can have this type of angle changing and, and um, changing the angle in terms of pick and roll for any type of play. You can have that for the rock and stubble draft set. You can have that for the way like they use flare screens. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to change the angle. You just have to make sure you do it in a way where it's not a legal screen. You can change the angle at the last second, but if you're you know standing square and creating contact, that is still a legal screen. So you have to be very smart, and that's where KG Warren has the advantage and why their coaching staff is working with him so diligently on that. Because he's so athletic and his hips and waist are so fluid in their movement, he can make those quick decisions as keep the defense honest. Is it just me or 
does Christian Wood still have some room to improve in the area of screen setting? Because it doesn't necessarily always feel like he sets a really strong screen. And I, I'm using mainly like Clint Capella as kind of the comp or the comparison there because, you know, I think to all the times that Clint Capella set screens for, you know, Harden, Paul, Russ, whoever, and it really felt like Capella became a very elite screen setter, you know, over the years here in Houston. Is that an area that you'd like to see Christian Wood continue to grow in? Or do you think I'm, I'm misreading that on his end? No, I, I don't think you're misreading that, but I think his role is a little bit different right within the offense. Now you have also have Kelly Olenek here who is able to kind of set screens role effectively. The thing that the Rockets want to do with their bigs is keep the defense honest. So you have Olenek, you have Wood. You have two guys who can both roll towards the rim, but they can also pop, but they can also kind of slowly create an advantage through a switch inside the paint. So there's different ways they can go. I personally like seeing Christian Wood not set these types of hard screens, but, you know, come set a go screen or set a screen and quickly slip or set a screen, change the angle and kind of go towards the perimeter. He's so quick that if he's able to get away from both of the defenders or whoever was defending him, whether it's a switch or whatever the case may be, he has an opportunity or a link for himself to create um, either a scoring play for himself or for his teammates as well. So I really like when Christian Wood is on the move. That is when, his, when he is on his best. Obviously, in a half-court setting, you would like to see him set those wide screens, kind of use his wide wide hips to do that. Um, but, you know, in, in terms of his strength, I think right now, as he continues to improve his body and get stronger, right now his best shot is just being able to go on the move. That makes a little bit more sense that, that Capella, I guess, is, is kind of given the luxury of the fact that he doesn't have, you know, more versatility to his offensive game, that he doesn't have that that pick and pop element to his game. He's not worried about, you know, setting, you know, quick little soft screens or go screens or anything. He's just there to set a hard screen and then roll really hard to the basket, right? So, I mean, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about what he's doing when he's setting a screen for a ball handler, correct? Yes, exactly. So... You know, I, I, I think when it comes to screen setting, you know, there's a lot of different things that go into it, but ultimately you want to create an advantage for your ball handler, especially, especially with this rocket science. All right. Well, coming up, we're going to keep the conversation focused on Christian Wood because we're actually going to, Ali Khan and I are going to do our best to try and rank the centers in the NBA and see where we think Christian Wood ultimately falls. And we'll get there after a quick message from our friends over at Built Bar. Look, if you haven't ever had a protein bar that you've actually enjoyed, like you try a protein bar and you're like, it sucks, whatever, like you've got to check out Built Bar. They're the best protein bars on the market. I'm not just saying that. I've had tons of people come back to me and say, thank you for putting me on these Built Bars. They're delicious. They've got so many great flavors to choose from. Peanut butter brownie, coconut brownie chunk, my personal favorite, salted caramel. You just cannot go wrong with any of the flavors on their menu. They are low-cal, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, amazing if you're on a keto diet. You can check them out at BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your very next order. Again, that's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. And another quick message from our friends over at BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Baseball season's in full swing. We've got NBA playoffs right around the corner. You can track all of that action and more at BetOnline. So before the next pitch, head over to BetOnline to track MLB. You got to track NBA, NHL, UFC, you name it. They probably have it over at BetOnline. So don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Use promo code LOCKEDON to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your very 
first deposit. Again, that's promo code Locked On L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, for a 50% welcome bonus on your very first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. And final segment here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball, chatting with the GOAT himself, Ali Khan Bijani. Now, Ali Khan, we're going to try and figure out where Christian Wood falls in the paradigm of bigs in today's NBA, which means I have to, first, I've got to turn on technical difficulties here, people. Hang on. I've got to share my screen. Didn't share my screen because I don't want Ali Khan making fun of my, my ad read notes over here, but let's go... All right, here we go. So we've got we've got this like tier maker list pulled up, okay, Ali Khan. So let's just like right off the bat, can we safely who can we safely say is the best center in the NBA? Are we gonna say that's Jokic? Because I kind of want to say it's Jokic. Yes, let's go with Jokic. Okay. All right. So we're going with Jokic. Is the and here's the thing, right? Is we're we're on locker room right now. So chat, you guys got to pile in on this, right? So we're 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 you know. Putting these names out here, if you disagree with the take, if you think somebody should be lower or higher up on the list, you got to chime in here. But right now, we're rolling with Nikola Jokic as the best center in the NBA. So uh, Carly's throwing out P.J. Tucker's name, and I guess technically we can throw P.J. Tucker in this list. He's not. Look, he's not on the tier maker list, so that's that's not my fault, Carly. I'm sorry. Um, all right, so we're going Jokic number one. Embiid, Embiid and Gobert, like two and three? Does does go and does go bear? Bam belong? has to be up there. Okay, wait, are you putting Bam over Gobert? Yes. Ooh. Okay, that's that's a good one. Okay, so we're going so we're going Embiid, and we're so we're we're doing this on tier maker. So we've got like the superstar category right now. So Jokic is there, Embiid is there. Are those the only two superstars? Or are we throwing Bam in at the tail end of like the superstar category? I'm I'm including Bam and also Carl Anthony Towns. Oh, really? In the superstar category? Yes. Okay. Bam and Carl Anthony Towns. I don't I don't know if I agree on the cat one. Honestly, his defense is just too suspect for me. But so would you would you at least put him in the All Star? I would absolutely put Cat in the All Star category. I don't know if I would put him in the superstar category. I can, and I'm almost that that level of hesitant with Bam, but I think Bam is a significantly more all around player both looks and, like and he's our, elite defensively so yeah it look, looks like our chat wants to put towns in the all-star so we'll put towns in all-star and then i guess we can still put um who was i gonna say a gobert and, and bam into the superstar category okay so gobert is in the superstar category for you yeah but bam is first yeah okay yeah. all right okay i and you so know Jokic, what i can, I can Embiid, get behind that bam and gobert. Yeah, yeah yeah so Jokic, Embiid, bam and gobert as your top four within the superstar category. We have Carl Anthony Towns and All-Star. Um, now here is when it gets interesting. I, I would venture and say Clint Capella right now is playing like an All-Star center. Um, and when he's healthy, I think he is a All-Star caliber type of center. I've been very high on Clint since he was here in Houston. So I would put him up there as well. I'm I'm glad you said that, and I that's firmly where I would also place him. I think that he he anchors a defense. He has grown considerably. Um, I miss Clint. He's he's good at what he does, you know. So yeah. I, I agree with that as well. Now, this is where. So I mean, we're getting kind of close. I think there's maybe a couple other people. So off the top of my head, looking at the names that we have left. So we've got again Jokic, Embiid, Bam, Gobert in the superstar category. That's the top four. Then we've got Cat. 
and Capella so far as the two all stars. So we've already put up put up six centers. So I would I would like to get our our listeners help on this. I am between Vucevic and Porzingis and Aiton. So those three for the next spot, and I would maybe even add Miles Turner into that into the next four between the categories of all star and good. So which ones, Jackson, and also our listeners, what do you guys think out of Vucevic, um, Aiton? Uh, Porzingis and Miles Turner, who I think is very, very underrated. Who would you put in All Star, and who would you put in Good? Oh man, I, I, I mean, for me, Eileen Vucevic in All Star. I mean, he is an All Star. He is a very talented player. Uh, that's that's kind of where I would lean putting him. Okay, so I, I agree. I think Vucevic is very, very good player. <laughs> He's really, really good, which is why Chicago traded for him. So he would be up there. You know, I know this sounds crazy. I think Miles Turner, man, he's definitely good. But I think he's that borderline of where I would put him as an all-star. I really like Miles Turner. Um, okay, well, then let's just put tentatively, we'll put Miles Turner at the top of the good list, and we can decide if we want to put him top of good or like the tail end of all-star. Yeah. I think next would be DeAndre Ayton for me and then Porzingis. As of right now, now Porzingis is healthy and he's playing consistent minutes. He's definitely an all-star, but this is just as of right now this season. I'll put Porzingis in good. All right, so we're up to 10 names now. And we haven't mentioned Christian Wood. We haven't gotten to Christian Wood yet. That and that that's kind of why I wanted to run through this little this little thought experiment to see is Christian Wood a top ten center at least for this season in the NBA? And, think, and, and shout, hang on, shout out Ron who is is you know throwing out Jonas Valanciunas. I think that he pr- probably belongs in the good tier as well. Yes, I, I was just about to say I do agree with Ron, and I watch a lot of Memphis Grizzlies games, so yes, I completely agree. Now, what I will say about Christian Wood is, yes, he's playing on a team like the Rockets. However, when you look at the scouting report, teams are playing him and defending him like he is a top 10 center. I think they're only, they're not, there are not, I'm sorry, you can make the argument there are not more than five centers who shoot the basketball better than he does and that demand the respect from the perimeter better than he does. Um, and so based off of that, I think Christian Wood is definitely in the good category. But you can def- you can even say that you can venture him to say that he could be in that All Star category as well if he was healthy throughout the season. So, and I think that's so. I mean, we're and we're kind of encroaching this territory where I think we're going to find that a handful of these remaining centers are a lot of them are going to fit into this good category. Like I'm looking at a couple of the names down here that we haven't even mentioned yet. So I think Christian Wood, you safely put in the good category, um, good borderline. I would, I would put him. I would put him at number eleven. So in front of Porzingis with the mindset that he could um, – sorry, no, number 10. Sorry, he, I think he is at, like on that borderline of 10, so he would be in front of Porzingis. And based off of that, if he stays healthy, he has a chance to move up and elevate to the all-star level status. I like that, and and I, that's kind of where I have him too. And I think you know preseason when we were kind of you know looking at Christian Wood's numbers and trying to find some comps for him, I think you know he's almost like a a, a very interesting blend of Kristaps Porzingis and Clint Capella esque is how like I was like kind of prepping Rockets fans for anticipating what his play style was going to be like the fact that he can rim run but he's also got the pick and pop game the outside shooting a lot of that the he can face up a little bit like it's all kind of there but. 
I, I think this is a good metric to say, you know, and I don't, I don't necessarily think we need to go, you know, and, and rank all the rest of the centers on this. I think the goal was to kind of try and find where Christian Wood fell amongst the the rest of the NBA centers. And I think right there on the cusp of top ten is a fair representation of how you know how this season has gone, and you know can he make the jump next season to be one to be an All Star? Right, we were campaigning for him to be an All Star this season, and then he had the ankle injury, unfortunately, and that kind of derailed that, as well as any hopes of a you know uh, most improved player uh, award for this season for Christian Wood. But next season, can he make the jump? And be a more impactful player than the likes of Aiton, Miles Turner, Vucevic. Can he get? I, I mean, can he get up towards that Clint Capella level where you can safely say his production warrants him an All Star spot? I, I think he can, and that will come from improved durability, which comes from strength and just better all uh, a better overall scoring ability to kind of get past the chest of a defender, especially a bigger defender and score defensively. He's, he's leaps and bounds better than where he was to start the season. And I think he's going to continue to get better, but he asked to add more strength. He's already a fast player. He can kind of beat guys down the court. He's already a good shooter. He's, you know, he's growing in isolation, but he has to grow with his strength to be able to take the next step in what he wants to do on the floor. And I agree with his his you know the the growth that he's made defensively, and I think Dell you know brings up a great point is that, and I've highlighted this before too, is that you know before the ankle injury he was really kind of finding his own defensively. He was more comfortable. He was reading things properly. Like the growth was almost exponential. It was like night and day compared to how he was to start the season and then where he was just before the ankle injury unfortunately took its toll. And I think that when he came back from the ankle injury, he just wasn't quite one hundred percent yet. You know, he was still recovering from. He didn't have the explosiveness. Uh, we didn't see him. What was it? He came back and he didn't block a single shot for like five or six games in a row upon his return. And part of that was because he was missing some of the explosiveness to be able to even get up and contest shots. So I think that he's absolutely going to be able to make that jump next season and be in that not even borderline all-star category, but a, at least you know from his production standpoint, an all-star. Now, whether or not he actually gets named to an all-star team, that's a bit more of a popularity contest, unfortunately. But we already know that here in here in H-Town, we're going to be full throttle trying to get him an all-star selection. Now, that's going to kind of wrap it up for our show. Alicon, go ahead and let everybody know where to track you down at and what you've got you know coming around the corner content-wise. Um, as listeners know from these last few weeks, I have been participating in Ramadan and fasting, and I actually have a story on that um, and in Ramadan within the NBA coming out very soon. So I'm very excited to share that with you all. Um, and for those uh, listening who do participate in Ramadan, um, and happy um, early Eid Mubarak to you and your family. Um, thank you for being a part of um, the show and listening to us and you know, taking time out of your day to listen to us and, and talk Rockets basketball. So do appreciate that for following along. And I didn't tease it before I threw it to Alicon, so we already had somebody drop out of the room. But if you've been here before, you know the drill. We've got Locked on Rockets After Dark coming up in just a moment where we will be discussing our secret topic. But for this show, that is going to do it. As always, thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to having you back right here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball.